it's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes, right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Today, I'm very happy that we have Cheryl Head as our guest. She is a self-described introvert, solver of puzzles, and a writer of fictional wrongs. She is the author of the award-winning Charlie Mack Motown Mysteries, and her latest novel, Time's Undoing, is available everywhere from Dutton. Cheryl, thank you so much for being here. So nice to be with you, Terrence. You're one of the first people I met in the crime fiction community, and you were so nice. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, I know. That was a while back at one of the Boshikons, I believe, yeah, right? absolutely, and St. Pete, I believe, yeah. St. Pete, yes. Well, you know, it's, you know, and it can be daunting for some people with the, uh, at the conferences, so it's always yeah. good to, and we're in conference season now, so it's good for people to be, uh, to be friendly and welcoming, and especially into the group. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you so much. Thank you. Um, I was wondering, uh, Time's Undoing is getting a lot of great attention. It's getting a lot of notice. And I was very interested in having you come here and talk about that today. Yeah, I'm happy, happy to do it. It's a, a departure for me because it's, a, it's fiction, but a story based on a personal tragedy in my family. Um, in 1929, my grandfather was killed by Birmingham, Alabama police. Uh, oh, a story gosh. my family has known about, obviously, for decades, but we didn't have much information about it. Very few details. Still don't know where my grandfather's buried, that kind of God. thing. So in 2020, when we were in lockdown um, and after George Floyd was killed, I thought this may be the time to take on that story. I really felt a push to tell that story, to put it in context with Black Lives Matter movement and excessive force uh, um, incidents uh, between police and, and, and Black Americans. So I, mm -hmm. I wrote that story in 2020. It took about a year to do it. Um, it was it was daunting because, it, you know, the personal element of it was really always at the back of my head. I wanted to do a crime fiction novel, and I knew how to do that part. What I did right. do was this, this kind of memoirish stuff, you know, so right. set in two timelines, 1929, and the voice of the in the in the fictional version the great grandfather and in 2019 in the voice of a young black journalist who is the great granddaughter of this man and uh i've woven together the two timelines i think in a seamless way that comes out at the end and what i hope is a satisfying story to the readers that really kind of uh looks at these two eras and what they have in common and where they diverge Right, right. Yeah, because that's what is, uh, the good aspect of a split timeline affords yeah. a writer to be able to do that. I've noticed that um, all of your previously published work has been set in modern day. Yes. And this one, as you just said, is half in 2020, uh, 2019 and yeah. 1929. Yeah. I was wondering how did you enjoy doing the research on that era and in that particular part of the country? Because that was a different experience than say New York, Chicago, Absolutely. Or, or Detroit, where I'm from. Or Detroit, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I love doing the research. I'm, I really like doing research on all the books. I get in the rabbit hole, so I have to watch myself. Uh, I'd written a historical <laughs> fiction piece. My first self-published piece was historical fiction. So I'd done a lot of research for that. So I kind of knew what I was in for. 
Um, but I spent a lot of time looking at what Birmingham was like in 1929, what the United States was like in 1929, what was going on in the world, you know, in 1929. Yeah. And I wanted to, uh, then I, after the research, which was a lot of research, I've kind of put it behind me and organically wrote those chapters, um, which is different than when I'm doing my Charlie Mack series or the contemporary sections of this book. I'm really a plotter. I am not a panther. You're not. You're, so <laughs> I, you have it all laid out. Yeah, I, I if and if I don't, I stop to the at the point where I'm going like, now where the hell does this go? And I start outlining then. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I don't follow the outline, you know, to the penny, but it's good to have it. It's good to have it, and so I can look over and go like, oh yeah, I thought that part, you know, that kind of thing. Exactly right. Yeah, it's a guide more than anything else. It's Absolutely. not. Uh, it's not gospel, and it's supposed to change as the story reveals itself. Reveals itself. That's correct. Yeah. Now, I know that this story was very personal to you, and uh, you also had a close familial relationship to the events of 1929. But I was wondering, in your research, did you uncover anything about that place and that era that you hadn't already known about before? Absolutely. Um, I found documents that really proved my mother's and my grandmother's rem reminiscences and, and, and distant memories about the, the death of my grandfather. I was able to find a small article in the St. Petersburg time that the family was from St. Petersburg. My grandfather had gone to Birmingham, Alabama to work temporarily. So in the hometown paper, there was a small one inch by one inch article that talked about his death that said the headline was, local Negro killed by Birmingham, Alabama police. And I'm going like, whoa, whoa. And the first line gives his name and the home address. And for the first time in what, 90 years, <laughs> we had documentation of my grandfather's death the way my grandmother and mother had already had always told it. Even though their, their memories of it were very sketchy and this article, mm -hmm. very, very small, it was the impetus I needed to find other documents like his death certificate, which we had finally after 90 years, which then gave me more information about the exact uh, details of his death, the multiple gunshot wounds, for instance, and the, and the actual corner wow. where he died and that my grandmother turned out to be the complainant, which means she had to go to the police department to complain to the police about her, her husband's death. And so, you know, a lot of pieces came together for me personally and for my family personally in writing this. Right. And then also, too, when you wind up getting something along the lines of a, of a factual um, verification of, yeah. of a family yeah. uh, tale and a family experience, that's got to be a different kind of rush than you felt in any of your other oh, man. work. Yeah. And you, the, you use the right word. It's verification. And, you know, I wouldn't call it rush. It was more like stun, yeah. <laughs> you know, for a while and, and, and painful, you know, just, I remember crying. I'm not a big crier, but I remember stopping and crying at that point, just, you know, at the, at the notion that we had this verification. And so, yeah, it, I always felt I had some kind of spiritual guidance from my grandfather helping me to tell the story. You know, that might sound a little, a little woo, -woo, woo but no. <laughs> you know, I definitely felt that. And uh, I don't think I would have been able to reveal uh, so, uh, some of the nuggets that I found in the research without that nudging to check here, look here, what about this keyword to plug in, that kind of thing. 
Yes, no, I agree because I, I firmly believe I'm, I'm not a big crystal gazer or yeah. <laughs> you know a soothsayer either. But yeah. I will say that we, I think, writers when they're dedicated to their craft, they do spend a fair amount of time in both worlds, both yes. in the physical world, but also in their yeah. minds. Yeah, and that opens them up to a lot of different things. Absolutely, Terry. Yeah, I, and, I believe that. And it sounds like you had that experience with this book as well. I, uh, you know, I you have characters talk to me only a couple of times, which I love because I think of that as being in the zone. I think, like you said, you kind of on both sides of the, the, the world and in the, in, in the book and in the characters' heads. You know, I think about it when I think about athletes who are playing at their top level and they're doing these masterful things and they're just not, it's an other bodily, it's an otherworldly experience. They're not even thinking, they're just executing, you know? And so I felt like I, sometimes I get to do that. That are, those are the best times of writing for me. Right, exactly right, because then you're in the zone, and uh, oh, right. as they say in the uh, athletic yeah. world, that's right. It, it really makes it, it, it's pleasurable for us, but it's also pleasurable for the reader, because I think they can sense when that's happening. With I the hope world. so, yeah, yeah. I think they can. Now, I mean, I, I've also, I know that your excellent Charlie Mack series is uh, also incredibly popular. I was wondering about, uh, if you could say a few words about that. Yeah, so I, I I wrote this historical fiction back in 2014. It was a grueling research task. It was about Negro soldiers in World War II. I wanted to tell the story that I heard from my father that I hadn't seen in other places. After I did that, um, I was just so exhausted by the research and it was such a big task. I decided I wanted to write something fun. And for me, that meant writing uh, a, uh, either a Western or a mystery. So I, I knocked out this mystery in four months, self-published it, turned out to be the first Charlie Mack book. A publisher saw it, asked me to bring it back and do some revisions. And we that was the first of the six books in the Charlie Mack uh, series, Motown Mystery Series. Uh, I had a lot of fun writing that. That one... Uh, you know, that, that's just a lot of fun for me to write. I love the genre, the mystery genre, the crime fiction genre. And and Charlie's a different kind of character within the landscape of crime fiction. So she's a Black lesbian woman, owner of a private investigation agency. And she's got this team of investigators that she works with in Detroit uh, during the mid-2000s when Detroit is really in a, in a bad place. So it's great for murder and may mayhem. You know? Right, yes. Yeah, yeah. And I, I get to write these fun characters who are her partners, who I think give her elevated uh, emotionality. And there's a I got a white male character who's a this Polish American ex cop guy who I love to write. He's my favorite character. Right, I can just say any damn thing I want coming out of Don's mouth. <laughs> So I have those, a, those characters come in handy, don't they? Yeah, they they, they really do. <laughs> I don't have to even think about what he's gonna say. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. And uh, the last one dealt with um, the growing hate hate groups in and around southeastern Michigan, and was really driven by this newsworthy conspiracy that we all heard about, where a group of men were conspiring to kidnap and murder the governor of Michigan. And I thought to myself, where do these people come from? <laughs> you know, right, so yeah. I write about that in the last book, which is called Warn Me When It's Time. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. No, that, and that's a, it's always great to be able to draw inspiration from 
the headlines, even yeah. though the headlines are as unpleasant as they have been in the last several years. They're horrible, but we write crime fiction and thrillers. So, <laughs> you know, that's perfect for us. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And that, as you said on your website, uh, your bio page, you get to write some of those wrongs in the fictional world, which is always uh, a good, uh, rewarding yeah, aspect that, of it. That's what I have in the back of my mind, at least. <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. Now, I mean, you've definitely, I've seen a, a, an incredible and, and wonderful evolution with, in your career and in your writing from where you started to where you are now. And I was wondering, what are you planning to do next? Are you going to continue with the Charlie Mack series or are you thinking about doing something else now that you've written a different kind of book that's been incredibly well received? Yeah, I'm I'm going to do both. I think Terrence. Um, right. I do want another. I do want to do another Charlie. I've been playing around with three different kind of uh, storylines. None of them are really speaking to me right now. So I'm, they're still in the the, the mixer. And sometimes mm -hmm. something will catch me, and I'll say, "Oh, let, I'll do it this way," or I might pick another another story to do. But um, I stopped thinking about Charlie so I could focus on writing what is going to be a. Uh, sort of a neo-western and you know you okay. and I talked about westerns for a long time I've, I've I've felt the challenge that you threw down in the <laughs> <laughs> a long it's time more ago. like pleading it's more like pleading with you to, to write a western because I know I know what Pam Stack's gonna kill me for talking about westerns because she doesn't like me to do that on this podcast for good reason no and I don't blame her I mean I get it but yeah, I've been begging you for years. I mean, when you said you wanted to write a Western, I said, oh, thank God. We have some great writers in Western fiction. Yeah, we, we do. do need some, we do need some new blood. We need to have other, um, other uh, viewpoints and, and other voices. Yeah. And I think it, you, the way you tell a story, God, oh man, yeah. we, it would be such a boon for the, for the genre. So yeah. with your Neo in it, and with apologies to Pam, who's probably going to- Yeah, well, let's go, apologize. <laughs> It's me and Terrence. We got to talk with <laughs> I love the idea of a neo western. So, yeah. what, roughly, I know it's not uh, in, in anything firm yet. But what, yeah. what are you thinking about with a neo western? So it's a, it's a story within a story. So I've got a black woman uh, contemporary author who's a, a best selling western author, and she's writing a standalone book from her series. And at the same time, she's she's a, you know she's like me a lover of westerns and so at the same time she's saying to herself you know as a, a woman who's aware of her place in the world and the world at large how can i how can i continue to write these this genre that is misogynistic and sexist and racist you know right yeah how do i juggle that the love of this genre with what's happening in the real world so she sets out through a friendship with native americans to do some for, for you know, lack of a better phrase, vision questing goes mm. back in time to okay. fix things. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Now that is something. Usually, when people are talking about neo westerns, they'll be talking about Longmire or that's right, that's Yellowstone, Dave Robichaux. Yeah, Dave, right. yeah, Sheridan. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, right. a lot of those, and and that's great. But I mean, having that kind of a uh, supernatural science fiction element to you to it yeah. if you will is really uh is really something and i you know you had weird westerns too and yeah. you had 
Cowboys versus Aliens, which just wasn't a very good movie. Which I hate it. <laughs> oh God, I hated that. It, 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 you had the cast, you had everything, and yeah. you probably had a, a pick of writers who who love that stuff who could have done it cool, and they just oh yeah. God yeah. Almighty! Even Harrison Ford could say that. Oh one, no, but not at all. <laughs> God Almighty! Yeah, no. It, but it, it's funny. A lot of people, when I told them I was writing westerns because I had done crime fiction before and, and right. thrillers, right. and they said, "Why are you doing that? Who wants to write, read about a bunch of white guys on horses killing Indians?" And I said, "A, it's not. It, there's more to the West than that. And B, right. the West wasn't all white, and it right. and it right. never was. Right. I mean." It is as a huge history, and I'm glad that finally people are starting to realize that, that it wasn't just a bunch of guys killing Indians, but you had African-American people in there. And I put, I, I made my deputy in my Aaron Mackey series, African-American. Right. And you'd think, you'd think that people who you believed read Westerns would get angry about that. Yeah. Or that I had Jeremiah Halstead as half Mexican. Right. They love it. And it's 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 an incredible. Oh, I think it's one of those un, un misunderstood uh, audiences that people who are outside the genre don't get, and that's why I'm so happy you're thinking about doing one because I think it'd be awesome. Thank you, Terrence. Yeah, I'm. I was scared to do it because I love the genre so much. I don't want to mess it up. So that's what wow. took me so long to tell you the truth. But when I think about the tropes, you know, especially the the protagonists, the male, the classic male protagonist tropes between the Western and the classic noir protagonist, right. lots of similarities, you know, the the loner, the person, the guy with his own moral code, you know, uh, the guy who doesn't have a lot of friends around him, but he, you know, he has a plan and he executes the plan. You, you know, he's the guy you really want to have as a best friend or in a knife fight because <laughs> they're right. going to. They're going to help you, you know. So I, I love those tropes. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm putting some of the, the tropey love of the things I love about Westerns in this book. But at the same time, I'm going to stretch it a little bit just to you know, talk about kind of contemporary issues and hope I don't mess it up. I don't think you will. I don't think you will. Because I think a lot of people have changed the Western long before us. And yeah. you yeah. just hit on it a little bit earlier. Because I think that the West wasn't like it is portrayed in the 1940s and 50s movies. Yes. And it certainly wasn't like it was portrayed on Gunsmoke. Yes. But I do think the storytellers of that 40s, 50s, and 60s yes. era imposed their um, you know, detective fiction or pulp fiction yes. uh, storytelling and tropes onto that On historical fact. Absolutely. That's right. Because and, and I think that, you know, if you when I started reading the history I, of the West, I said, God almighty, there were a lot of interesting things going on. Absolutely. Back then. Yeah, a lot and, of interesting things. And it was so it's uh, I, I think that it, it has a lot of room for development. And I think that uh I can't wait for you to give a shot to it because I think uh, it, it's uh, it needs that kind of a, a boost. And I think that also it'll help you with the other writing projects that you want to tackle. I think you're absolutely right. Because I know writing this standalone I just finished has made me a better writer. Um, mm -hmm. It made it stretched me as a writer. So I had to write with more emotionality than I normally write. Um, right. Not that I will you know, really become too touchy, <laughs> too touchy feely, but it's going to help me in the parts where I want to show some character development that I haven't been able to do. And, and in the Western, um, you know, it really feels like I can just kind of rely, go back to my crime fiction chops and at least for the, the, the Western part of it, the book within the book, 
it's got all the good Western feels to it. I love writing that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it is. And, it, and it's so funny, too, because when you're talking about back then, it's just not about taking um, Philip Marlowe and putting a cowboy hat on him, a horse <laughs> and having him go do his stuff. Because right. One of the people I met at the Western Writers events was saying, you know, the, the aspect of the storytelling has to always involve time because yeah. you couldn't just hop in your car and drive someplace. That's right. So a trip that took you half a day would probably take you most of a week. Right. On horseback. Absolutely. Yeah. That's and then, funny. And, yeah. yeah, that's so, funny you mentioned that. I was Googling the other day. How long would it take to ride from Oklahoma City to, you know, I'm Googling that. Because <laughs> you know, I'm going like, wait a minute. That's got to take more than a day. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then you have to feed the horse and everything. Right. I mean, everything had to be planned out. And that mm. in itself opens up an awful lot of avenues for, as for me at least, yeah. to explore when I'm writing something else, even if it's a techno thriller or it's a 1930s mystery, it makes yeah. you realize there has to be more thought into the process that, and, and that doesn't, okay. yeah, you can't write about the cool car that they, they drive or whatever. That's right, right. But, but you know, and even the horse, the, the type of horse can, can make a difference too. So it's, Absolutely, that's right, <laughs> which is all the fun stuff of Westerns to me, you know. Exactly right, yeah. exactly right. And getting to know all of the parts of a saddle and a stagecoach. That's I mean, right, absolutely. You, you pull those up and you say, yeah, it's just a saddle. What, what's the big deal? Then you see the list of different things broken out from the diagram. You're like, God almighty. God, I love that stuff. <laughs> I do too. I do too. The schematics, oh God. I, yeah, yeah. I, could, get, uh, I could get lost into that. But um, anyway, so you're, you're working on all of that wonderful stuff right yeah. now. And yeah. I know that a lot of good things are going to be happening to you in the future. I know oh, that yeah. um, Time's Undoing has gotten a lot of attention from some of the uh, awards groups. And uh, I think it's going to I hope be a so. great, great yeah. run for you. From your mouth to God's ear. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> What's the best way people can uh, follow you on internet, your website, so yeah, they can yeah. always find out what's going on with you? Yeah, well, my website is CherylHead.com. I'm pretty easy to find, you know, so I, I obviously don't write spy fiction like you do because I'm really easy to find. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm still hanging in with Twitter. I like it as a platform for writers, at least. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm on Instagram, usually daily, but not doing a great job of it. If you ever hear that I'm on TikTok, it's probably an impersonator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, me too. I think that's a, that's an app that has passed us by. And, yeah, I uh, I'm okay I enjoy it. watching it sometimes, but I'm thinking, no, I'm not, I won't be doing it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, and thank God we grew up at a time when they didn't have cell phone with the uh, with cameras on them because that exactly. would have been that would have been fun uh, in a bad way. Yeah, so yeah. and then you're also on Facebook regularly, right? I'm on Facebook regularly. I'm a member of the Crime Writers of Color group and um, want to give a shout out to them. They're great. And I'm also the vice chair of uh, VoucherCon now. So from the first VoucherCon where I met you, now I'm the vice chair of the, the organization and happy to be doing that because I think it's really important the community building that we do. That you know, writers tend to write. You know, we write by ourselves and some of us like me are introverts, but we do need the writing community to really just elevate the work and elevate the craft and give us feedback and just, uh, the, the, you know, the fellowship. Yeah, exactly right. And if you're not comfortable doing it in person, you could definitely do it, uh, you know, by a social media or Absolutely. Zoom. Yeah. I mean, there's 
there's a we have to get more people writing in general because I don't think a lot of people are doing that. And I'm afraid with the presence of AI now, you're going to get a lot of well, boy, stuff added to the slush piles. Yeah, I might find a novel, a, a, a way in a novel to kill some AI. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what that is. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, maybe we could do, uh, you know, we could get some kind of crowdsourcing on that one yeah, and, and come up with it. That's right. <laughs> oh, God almighty. That'll be the death of creativity. Anyway, that's for another episode. Yes. But uh, anyway, Cheryl, thank you so much for being here. And thank you again to everyone for tuning in to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Global Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Take care. and We'll see you next time, everybody. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.